I don't know how I can go on. Oh, no, I agree. It's a, it's a different world now. It's more than that. I just feel like I can never watch a movie again. Everything I see in the cinema will be empty when I know there's no chance that I'll see my best friend again. Uh, I wouldn't go that far. Well, he was incredible. There will never be another Alan Rickman. I loved Love Actually. Oh, I, I thought we were talking about payphones. You think it's a different world without payphones? You think my best friend is a payphone? Well, I thought it was a bit extreme, but there have been plenty of great films with payphones in them and lots of... Oh, oh sorry, excuse me, I'd I better get this. Hello? How long has this been in the kitchen? Oh. Is this an exact replica oh, of a right? London payphone? Is this where you spent the $2,000 I loaned you? James, it's Alan Rickman. He says he'll pay back my $2,000 if you say that payphones are really cool. Oh, he says he'll return to life too and go to the circus with you like you always dreamed of. Alan Rickman. Hmm. All my debt paid. A day with my idol in my favorite place. You know what? I think I'll choose to be on the right side of history while payphones suck. (laughs) (laughs) I can, I'm now imagining your kitchen with a payphone. I can't get the image I, out of my head. It's kind of stylish. I can't I think I would kind it. of do that if I, you loaned me $2,000. Well, I now know I'm never loaning you $2,000 <laughs> is, is the lesson from this like little skit verse. Yep. No, that's fair. <laughs> uh, welcome to the Get Commanded podcast. It's the GCP brought to you by POG, Palms Off Gaming, sponsor of this podcast. The only place where thimbles are still cool. I'm your host, Walt. And hello, Commander players. I'm your other host, James, the buddy side cop in Walt's series of episodes on Get Commander. <laughs> I'm like the lovable one. The, the, lo- the, the sidekick, you know? <laughs> the lovable sidekick. And I'm, I'm probably like the, the Dr. Emmett Brown of this universe, you know? <laughs> the like, we've got to get to the time machine. <laughs> Great Scott! Great Scott! <laughs> uh, look, as we know, uh, I usually make sure people know stuff about what we're getting up to before we get to the transmission every it's week. true. I, I, I always say, like, oh, before we do that, like, I'm surprised that I've got something <laughs> to say. But um, this time, it's very well-timed. If you're listening to this episode in the morning in which it comes out... We're going to be streaming this very evening at 7pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time. So that'll be 14 hours from when this episode comes out. So if it's so specific. I don't know if it's 8pm where you are right now. It'll come out 10am the next day. I don't know how that's going to work for your time zone. Yes. Um, 7pm ADT for our Friday. It might be your Thursday. But yeah, we're going to play some more Commander. We're super keen. We've been loving just jumping on stream and like just grabbing some of our friends and showing you what we actually play Commander like because yeah. we talk about it for hours every single week. It's true. Yet it's very rare that you get to see us play. So yeah, come and hang out and see the decks that we talk about all the time. See us not listen to our own advice <laughs> on this podcast. That's a big one. And yeah, mostly see the ridiculous decks that you can't get enough of on the podcast because I won't stop talking about them. Uh, and I also won't stop playing them. I've played Barbala Saga about six times now. I don't care. It's fun. She's a witch and I like it. I... It's slowly becoming one of my favorite Walt decks. Wow. To be fair. Yeah. Big words. All it, right. Well, it wasn't in 
the time when we ranked your decks no. wasn't fully in yet. So I was like, you know, I can't really judge it. But now I've seen it. It's a great deck. But look, if you can't join us live, uh, we do have a YouTube, which we haven't really shouted out a lot in the past. Because to be honest, it's kind of just sat there existing. <laughs> um, I am making a big effort to start cutting our gameplay up and throwing it up on YouTube. Don't expect anything fantastic. Uh, my experience is not in video editing. So <laughs> don't expect anything crash hot like, you know, animations from game nights. Nope. But it's us playing Commander on YouTube. So you can go subscribe to our YouTube channel at Get Commanded at a later date. We'll throw up the video from all our streams so you can watch the games there. Yep. And they'll be just like watching the stream, to be honest, because we won't cut them. So you can sort of put it, put on your headphones, put it on and imagine that you had tuned in at 7 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time on the 17th of January. Uh, that was a beautiful segue. I appreciate you. it. You were like, so I need a segue back to reminding people about the actual date. You did it beautifully there. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, and speaking of segues, we have an incoming transmission. You can't just say speaking of segues like that. And then segue. just like cut it off. <laughs> <laughs> it's an incoming transmission from the deep depths of the galaxy from the space commanders. It's time to get commanded. Commander game, there are an enormous number of variables that must be considered. However, the wisest Commander players will become proficient in noticing absence. Interesting. Okay, because we've, ta we've talked at length about threat assessment, mm -hmm. but this is like threat assessment on like a... Would you say it's a macro scale or a micro scale? I, I'd say it's a macro scale. We're taking kind of taking a step back and looking at everything. I right? guess so. Yeah. Like this is we've talked before about like noticing like cards in people's hands and yeah. you know noticing stuff that's not immediately obvious about like threat assessing and everything. But this even is we've like, talked about like problematic permanence that you should look out yeah. for. Like we've called out specific cards. We this have. Is, this is a bit more abstract. It I is. Feel. It is. We've got to notice absence. This is super weird. Looking for things you can't see <laughs> yeah, is strange. Um, I actually have a sort of story that kind of relates to this concept. I think it's going to be a good lens to look at this for. Go on. Can I take us back to World War II? I'd prefer you didn't. I'm not sure if you've heard much about World War II. <laughs> it wasn't the greatest period of human history. Look, we'll take it back at the macro level so we don't have to get too close. <laughs> uh, World War II. So, specifically, the Air Force, the Allies Air Force. So, mm -hmm. the, the Allies, at one point in the war, were looking at reinforcing their planes, right? They wanted to protect... Mm -hmm. The vulnerable areas of the plane make them more robust, less likely to be shot down by the enemy, right? I have heard this story. Mm -hmm. I love this story. I see where you're going with this. Okay. So, bear with me. So, they obviously covering the entire plane with, with an extra layer of metal would have been too heavy. The plane wouldn't take off. It wouldn't be maneuverable enough. So, they were like, okay, we've got to decide where on the plane we're going to reinforce. Add some extra levels of metal. Make it so that they won't get shot down. Mm -hmm. So they decided to analyze the locations that were most frequently shot in the planes that were returning from battle, right? They were sort of getting the planes to come in. They were going, okay, where are the, have the bullets hit 
the plane here, and they concluded that the areas that they should reinforce based on how often they were being shot were the tail, the wingtips, the center of the fuselage, and the central wings area behind the engine, mm-hmm. right? They worked out, look, this is where they're all being shot. If we reinforce these areas, maybe they're less likely to be shot down. Makes sense. That's where the enemies are shooting, yeah, right? Yeah, 100%. I mean, like, yeah, if you see a hole in there, that means it's not strong enough. Yeah, got to put, a, gotta put <laughs> yeah. something over that hole. However, a mathematician called Abraham Wald pointed out that the locations that they were analysing were based on the areas that had been shot on planes that were returning from battle. Yes, these are the planes that got home safe. Yes. So actually, the areas that Abraham suggested, the areas they should reinforce on the plane was actually everywhere except the areas that had been shot on the planes that were coming back from battle. Why? Because clearly when the plane is shot on the tail, wingtips, centre of the fuselage and central wings area behind the engines... The planes come back. Yeah, let's let's have a think about the other areas on the plane that we didn't list there. Like yeah. the cockpit yes. and the engines. Yes. If you shoot one of those areas, it's pretty likely you're going down. Yeah. Mayday, mayday, you're going down. But it, you're totally right. You can't analyze that thing, right? Yeah. You can only see the ones that come back safe mm-hmm. and the ones that have holes in the wings landed safely. Yeah. So-, so it's a mistake. And the huge missing variable here is obviously there's a huge amount of data that would make this uh, analysis really helpful, which is if they could see every plane that had gone down. But most of those planes are rubble. <laughs> yes. They don't come back yeah. from going down in the enemy territory. So yes, that was the conclusion was they had should uh, protect all the areas that had not been shot. Uh, so this is what we call survivorship bias, right? We're, we're prioritizing information or data based on the kind of exceptional examples in a group. So in this case, it yeah. was the ones who'd returned, who'd the survivors from something. This is where we get survivorship from. Is this where that term was coined? I think it's... I don't know that it, the term was coined then, but this is sort of the earliest example we can see of people being like, okay. this is like an interesting bias that people are falling I, for. I have heard this story before. And yeah. I, th- I think it's so cool that it like shows you the things that you don't see yes. are so important. Yeah. Well, it, it's this bias is really common everywhere, basically. Like, it's very common for people to make this mistake. The, the biggest and most obvious one is actually in business. You see people going like, oh, um, you know, back when Apple was starting up, these are the steps that they did to become a successful business. I should emulate them. Mm. Um, but people have done some sort of more macro analyses of different businesses and have found that actually if you look at like the 90% of businesses that fail, a lot of the tips that are being spouted by the really successful businesses are the same ones that the failed businesses did because you can't account for luck. Some people got yep. lucky and the business took off and most of them did not. And also like, like if we're going down the line of business, you can have a great product like mm. a fantastic product and do kind of lackluster marketing. But if it's a great product, people will buy it. Mm. But if you do way over the top marketing and a shit product, no one's going to buy it because yeah. it's a shit product. So like it's it's the thing of like sometimes you'll see things everywhere, but it doesn't reflect what it actually is. Mm. And sometimes you won't see things anywhere and it will be there. Yeah, well, it's not like you can go into a shop and someone shows you all the products that didn't make it. Yes. <laughs> you don't walk in and someone goes like, oh, actually, there's a warehouse at the back here. It's the size of an aircraft uh, carrier. Yep. Uh, um, and it's full of all of these <laughs> failed products if you wanted to have a look at them. That doesn't and happen. World War II Lancaster yes. bombers and Spitfires, <laughs> yeah. apparently. We've got this guy called Abraham Wald back here. He's great. Um, <laughs> 
Anyway, Commander. We have a Commander podcast. We shouldn't talk too much about business in World War II. Um, in that, Com- that would just make us like every other white <laughs> duo of men <laughs> in their true. mid-20s that have a podcast. It's true. Also, uh, like all of those duos of men, we don't know anything about World War yes, II. Yes, true. <laughs> I went to Winston Churchill's war rooms while I was in England. Oh, so you're qualified. Yeah, no, I'm, an, I'm a historian now. <laughs> um, welcome to the Get... History <laughs> podcast. History is told by the there victorious. Um, <laughs> Commander, right? <laughs> In Commander, I reckon we can kind of see this same thing. And I reckon this is sort of what the space commanders are alluding to, which is the survivor, if we're looking at a game of Commander, is the winner, right? Yeah. One person, what did they do right? What, what did they do right? And also, like, we're going to look at the things that they obviously did Especially on, like, the, the turn they win. You know, some, sometimes you, you'll see this, right? Like, I'll be in a game of Commander, and someone will be about to win, and they'll cast some super cool splashy spell, and that's what gets them over the line. I do think this can be a bit of a trap for new players. Big is time. looking at the things that happen in a game and missing the subtle things that you d- don't see, which is what we're going to talk about. Yeah. But, like, a new player might see the splashy, overwhelming stampede and go, wow, I need to put... 30 of these in my deck because mm. this is the card that makes me win. Yeah, but they'll miss the fact that that player played a tutor the yeah. turn before or that player drew 15 cards the turn before. Yeah. So those are the sorts of things that beginner players will will miss. But there's we all do this, right? We, we There's obviously, we notice the things we notice and the most noticeable things that happen in a commander game are like the winner and the way they won. Or the card, specifically. Yeah, specifically yeah. the card. But we're, we're, very, we're very much more likely to miss the actions that were taken by players who lost Mm. and especially the things that players did that slowed down other players who didn't win, Mm. right? We're not going to notice the fact that, like, James... Like, like, let's say I won that game. It's very unlikely we're going to notice that James almost won, right? Yeah, if I was, like, so close to a win and if it wasn't just for that really well-timed removal or, like, something like that, like, I could have got over the line. I also think there's something else here. I think there's, like... The thing that we don't miss is all the actions, all the like stuff like sandbagging that the winner didn't show mm. us. Like, you know, the that the winner of that game very clearly could have been a winner, but maybe they didn't deploy the win con as soon as they drew it. Maybe yeah. they waited for the optimal moment. That's something you don't see. No, you don't you, you don't see other players' hands, right? So you don't know when they're holding back and when mm. they're deploying a different threat or like baiting out a counter spell, you know. All these things are things we can't see unless we're told, obviously, after the game. So this is like psychoanalyzing, I, Commander. This is it's next this is level, wildly detailed. I'm so glad that you're listening to us because it makes me feel like we're not weirdos for overanalyzing <laughs> a game of cardboard. Yeah, like true. that's what we're playing here, it's just true. to make sure we're not in any disillusioned world <laughs> where this is like analyzing World War Two. No. no, we're playing a game. We're people. playing a game. <laughs> we're just taking it to the next level for whatever reason. Um, look, I, I reckon the slant we can take here for to cancel out this sort of bias towards noticeable things mm-hmm. that we see in Commander is I think we can still look at things that we can see like cards and like strategies that people are employing and we can look at, at the things we can see but we can see what those things represent and form conclusions about the things we can't see. So I reckon yeah. the, the, the way we can do this this command is like run through a bunch of examples of things that we see in Commander that are like somewhat noticeable, but then talk about all the things that they sort of hide behind them. You know what I mean? Like like things that look like, like something. Like zooming out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly. I like I like this like we're gonna look on a macro scale because we're yeah. looking at like more than just what's directly in front of us. We're trying to see what that 
is building to. It's like a small piece of a mosaic. Yeah. And we're trying to zoom out to see the bigger picture. Yeah. yeah. I, it's going to bug me now, but there's this comedian that does a very funny joke kind of in line with this. Uh-huh. He, he gets on stage and he says something like, you know, like, you know, we're all disillusioned. You know, we think we're, you know, people walking around and living our lives. We are so insignificant in terms of the world. And then he says something like, you think you're in America right now? Zoom out. You're on a rock hurtling through space. Like... <laughs> It's it's kind of like that. I can't no. remember the comedian now. I wanted to shout him out. He's very funny, but I can't remember his name. But I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. We Zoom out. Miss the forest for the trees. Definitely. Yeah, that's a that's actually quite a poetic one. I like that. We're one going with that one. We're going with that one. <laughs> Speaking of the forest, no, it's not a good segue. <laughs> stacks. <laughs> oh yeah, perfect segue. Uh, wood stacks. It's a stack of wood. Forest. Like in a for- yeah. I get. It was a stretch. I'm so clever. Um, <laughs> stacks pieces. So uh, we're going to talk about some stacks pieces here. I want to be clear because we've, we've done this before and we talked about stacks. People think of stacks, they think of cards like smoke stacks and stasis and stuff. And those are stacks pieces. Mm. But um, the definition we use for stacks is just any permanent that sits on the battlefield and prevents or dissuades your opponents from making certain actions. And this yeah. is basically... We did an episode on stacks a we while did, ago. We did, the stacks threshold, a long yeah. time ago now. But yeah, it's basically... To, we, we use this definition of a permanent that sits there, stops your opponents, to contrast it with removal, right? Which, yes. is, which tends to be, you know, sorts of plashes, path to exile. It interacts with your opponent directly. Interacts, stops that one thing but this is kind of like a wide effect that sits and stays there and really important to note there is a like a spectrum of stacks where there is hard stacks like smoke stacks Mm. like tangle wire those kinds of things stasis and then there are kind of soft stacks effects where it's like your opponent may do this or Mm. like other you know where it doesn't feel as brutal yeah that's how to like in a 20 second explanation yeah. that's kind of our opinion on stacks that was the very short version of that very long episode yeah, exactly, on stacks yeah. that we did way back when but yeah so basically we're talking about permanents that in some way either prevent or dissuade your opponents from doing certain things mm, dissuade um, is a good word yeah I like dissuade too uh, who wrote that oh god that's so good <laughs> I don't even know what's going on right now. Walt wrote um, that. If, if that wasn't clear to anyone, <laughs> Walt wrote that. No, the space commanders told me to, James. Thank you very much. Um, Talion, Kindly Lord. Oh, this was this one of my very least favorite ones. cards from 2023. You said that. I remember now. Yeah. Well, you've seen a lot more of it because you've played a lot more CDH. This is a very I think it's a lot more prevalent in CDH than it is in casual. This is the one that sure. um, commands only did a super interesting episode on when they analyzed the ideal choice. I should tell you what a card does briefly first mm. two generic blue and a black it's Tamir cards a legendary creature so it can be your commander I think doesn't matter at all what any of the sta- the text on the card is I think it's a 3-4 sure with flying that sounds right we'll yep. go with that um, the key line of text is when it enters the battlefield you choose a number between 1 and 10 I 1 and say. 10 1 and 10 uh, and then whenever a player an opponent sorry casts a spell with mana value, power, or toughness equal to the number you've selected, that player loses two life and you draw a card. Yeah, and the the key thing about this card that a lot of people were confused on when it came out is, okay, so if someone chooses two and I cast a Dockside Extortionist, mm-hmm. does it trigger twice because it's mana value two and toughness two? No, it's the same card, so it'll only trigger Talion once. Yes. You will lose two life and the Talion controller will draw one card. Mm-hmm. But th- it does mean that the net that Talion and casts is a lot wider than you initially think. Right? Oh, yeah. Because, like, you There'll can be three two. CMC creatures with two toughness common. or two power. Very yeah. common, right? And it doesn't it doesn't have to be power and toughness. Like, you can have a 2-3. You can have a 3-2. Like, any of these things 
will let you draw a card if you're Talion. This is why this card is seeing so much CDH play. Because, like, the second you go, oh, it can't be that good in CDH. It's, like, not doing much. But in Demir, if you're playing, like, a mid-range strategy, mm. this card is unbelievably good. Like, it's, it's so strong. One of the best draw engines probably in the format, and it can be in your command zone. Like, that is wild. It is next to Ristic Study. It's and close. not only that, it's not only a draw engine, it is actually a win con because it is draining your opponent. Yeah. I, it's, it's not going to win you the game on no. its own, but it, it can. Yeah, you know? the value matters. Anyway, yeah. so... With the framework that we're looking at for this, what do you reckon? What do we see with Talion? I think we see the cards being drawn, right? That's pretty yes. obvious. We see our, our life total going down. We see someone draw a card. That's pretty obvious. Yeah, I will say that I think that for reasonably experienced players, we'll see cards being drawn. Yeah. For new players, I think cards being drawn can also be one of the things players miss. I completely agree. Um, so if you are a new player notice when people are drawing cards. Oh, yeah. Because you, that is a real thing that's happening in the game and can be very dangerous to you later in the game. You've probably heard experienced players say, how many cards in hand? Mm. You know, how, James, how many cards in hand? Or some, just like generally, how many cards are in hand? Yes, they might be about to cast Jessica's Will <laughs> is usually when it's being asked. Uh, but sometimes it's 2020 relevant. changed that. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes when I'm looking at like, um, you know, using my removal, there might be two players who I think have roughly equal boards. And I'll yeah. ask them how many play, uh, cards in hand each of them have. If one player has one card in hand and the other play, person has six... The person with six cards in hand is a lot more threatening. Mm. Yes, that one card in the other person's hand might be amazing, but you don't know that. And but on you do know there's five more cards in that hand. On a deeper level, if they have the exact same cards in their hand, how many cards have they just drawn recently? Yeah. Maybe they've both got seven cards in hand, but let's say one of those players just drew 20 cards and, and then discarded, discarded down to seven. Makes they have the difference. best seven. The best seven they could yeah. have in the top 20 cards in their library. That's crazy. Mm. Um, what else, So I, I agree. I think cards get missed sometimes. Mm. What else do we think Talion represents behind the cards? Because So the bigger picture of Talion. The bigger the, picture of Talion. The thing we can see is Talion triggering a card going into my opponent's hand uh -huh. and me losing two life. Yes. What's the bigger picture? I think the bigger picture with Talion is, especially later in the game, people stop casting spells. Oh, right? I mean, two life is a, like, I play a Liesa Shroud of Dusk deck. Yeah. And it's a similar thing. Like, you get people choosing the one spell that they really want to cast. Yeah. Up above, you know, chaining two, three spells together. Because, yeah. um, like, if you get three Talion triggers on your turn, that is six life. It, it adds up. And especially later in the game, like, if I'm at six life and someone has a 4-4 four, four flyer and I have no flying blocks, I just can't cast a two-mana spell. Right? Yeah. Or I'm dead. Like, I have to... I might have a handful of two drops. And I'm just like, yeah. cool. Like, basically, the Talion player has infinite counter spells right now. Like, that's what this represents. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting thing about Talion is when, once it gets to that real late game. Because a lot of Talion players add in their decks things like, you know, Blood Chief Ascension. Yeah. And, you know, they're, they're, they're bringing those life totals really low really quickly. Which, to be fair... Just because you're on 6 life, 10 life, doesn't mean you're out of the game. No, we, especially not in CDH, Yes, right? we know that life totals are not a scoreboard in Commander. Mm. You can win on 1 life, and it's the same win as you winning on 40 life. Yeah. Like, it's the exact same. So, it, the, the life totals doesn't necessarily represent the true thing that's happening. The true thing that's happening is that there are players that are now choosing not to cast spells yeah. of particular mana values because they're not they don't have the resource left to use. No, it's it's going to add up and especially in the late game like and again like the, the whole episode is about 
noticing absence, right? You can't see the spell someone doesn't cast. Mm. Like you, the Talion player might have just barely got there because someone had a removal spell that was two mana value. And, and I, they couldn't cast it. And know? I do think that this like does make us like if if we slant even further and go into the how does this make us a better commander player? Mm. It makes us a better commander player because we're aware of just how strong Talion is as a card. Yeah. Because now we know, okay, well that's affecting how is it affecting me? It's not affecting me that bad, but how is it affecting Walt? Oh my god, Walt's not cast a spell for two turns. Yeah. You know, Walt's really in a bit of a pickle here. Mm. So like you know, maybe there's an opportunity there to notice that absence, see Walt is really struggling. Yeah. And, you know, typical James fashion, go, hey, Walt, <laughs> what's it worth to you for me to remove Talion? <laughs> Valid, honestly. <laughs> yeah, Talion's a good one, for sure. Um, I think another one that we we can miss the, the Forest of the Trees on is um, tax effects, right? In, mm-hmm. in this sort of stacks area. Um, like Rhystic Study, Smothering Tide. Yeah. Like whenever you do something, pay a certain amount of mana unless your opponent, unless you want your opponent to get value. To get some sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. I think we we tend to see, well, yeah, depending on the experience level, we tend to see the cards being drawn. I think definitely with Smothering Tide, we see the treasures. Yes. <laughs> you can't miss the treasures My God, there. It, it adds up quick. <laughs> yeah. I, I, so I think we see those things and I think people mostly justifiably go like, oh, that's a problem. That's a problem. Um. I think that we don't see necessarily with especially these cards that make things cost more that a lot of spells are probably sitting in people's hands not being cast. Like we, mm. we you hear people say a lot online and we've even said it probably before that like good players just tend to pay every Rhystic Study trigger, right? They know how good the card is. They just treat the card as if it says spells cost one more to cast. Never give someone a yeah. card. Because if that if that if you do do that, then the player that cast Rhystic Study just cast a three mana enchantment. That's it. That's all they've done. Well, but it's interesting because the the three mana enchantment they've cast, though, does now say spells cost one more to cast. Noticing the absence. Yeah. And so then, like, you know, toward like, yes, in a turn, it might not be that noticeable difference. Over several turns, if you're spending one more on every single spell, like that might be the difference between deploying, you know, three, three drops in a turn or two, four drops. Yeah, or it's the equivalent of like, let's say you just have like, let's do like simple math here. You have a hand and you've got four mana available to you Mm -hmm. and you have four one drop spells. Yeah. Are you going to let someone draw four cards? No. Or are you going to maybe play two one drop spells and and pay pay the the tax one, you know, pay the one for each of those spells? Because if for me... I am like you said, I'm a pay the one player mm-hmm. all the time. I will try my best to always pay that one. Yeah. But like it's very tempting to deploy all of your cards. Yeah. And I think that this is the thing of like it's it's such a strong effect that's happening. But the thing that's really happening, especially if people are paying that one and slowing the game down. You can notice this and be like, hey, they paid the one twice. Maybe that means that's one or two cards that they didn't cast. Mm. What have they still got in their hand? Yeah. And also, like, how much better do these cards look now? Yes, yes Rhystic so Study much. might sometimes never draw you any cards, but over the course of a game, oh my god, that person didn't deploy, like, five of their threats This is yeah, over the course of a game. This is a good analysis to why these cards are so strong. Yeah. Is because even when they don't do the thing that it looks like they want to do, even when you're not seeing it do the thing, 
It's still doing a thing. Yeah. You just can't see it. No, the, the spells just become invisible. Yeah, <laughs> basically. In, invisi- they, never, they never get cast. They never get cast. You never hear about them. You never see them again. Um, I think in a similar vein, Graveyard Hate can do this, especially Graveyard Hate. I, I've got a particular card in my mind here, which is Scavenging Ooze. Oh, like targeted removal in the graveyard. Yes. Yeah. And But also that just sits there. Like if, you, if, if someone has a Scavenging Ooze and any green mana open, they just have the potential to remove any card in a graveyard at any time, it, right? Very similar to how I play my Scarab God deck. I yeah. leave mana open with Scarab God uh, to target things in other people's graveyards. Playing your own graveyard deck against a Scarab God deck is not fun. <laughs> or against like, a Scavenging Ooze. Yes, Scavenging Ooze, same thing. So I think with Scavenging Ooze, the thing we see is we do see less recursion used, right? Like someone will not, probably not, unless they don't see it, cast Reanimate on mm. their, um, you know, uh, Thrashing Brontodon. That was a weird I don't know choice. why that's the card that appeared in my mind. Fair enough. Thrashing Three mana dinosaur. <laughs> there you go. That's the thing you want to reanimate. Uh, but no, yeah. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Because that player would, if they're casting reanimate on their thrashing Brontodon uh-huh. and their opponent has a scavenging ooze across from them and pays the one and just exiles the, the thrashing Brontodon in response, yeah. it, it is like you've just wasted mana. It's a two for one for that player, right? Who's yes. got the scavenging ooze. They have successfully counterspelled your reanimate and permanently dealt with your thrashing brontodon. And put a plus one counter on it and yeah. gained life. They're like, not going to refuse that offer. No, it's it's way too good. So the player that's wanting to cast reanimate just won't. Yes. And that's the result. And I think that there's like even more things that t- specifically cards like scavenging ooze do when you just see them. Mm. Like... If you're in a deck where you can tutor things to your graveyard, you don't do it. No. Because you're like, well, that's just like saying on a big neon sign. If we're talking about things that go unnoticed, yeah. this is a thing that goes noticed. Yes. If you tutor something to your bid, yeah. let's say like Grey Merchant of Asphodel. Oh, yeah. That's like screaming, I'm going to reanimate this with Rise of the Dark Realms. Everything's going to come back and I'm going to kill yeah. you. Like that is a huge red flag yeah. that you're about to lose. And again, like no one's going to refuse that call. No one who's got a scavenging ooze is going to be like, oh, Let's see what happens. I'll, no. let, I'll let you have Gary. No way. I'll let you have Gary. It's That's not going to happen. Um, I think like even more than that, though, I think what then happens, if we're sort of walking this through from the perspective of that poor person playing the graveyard deck, <laughs> yes, they're going to probably not shoot things to Bin. They're probably going to not uh, get Gary and Bin in any capacity. I think the other thing that they're going to do instead is they're going to spend loads of their mana trying to draw cards to find an, a response to scavenging ooze. Yeah, true. They're, they're probably not even developing their own board state in no. other ways. It's because their win condition is being, like, blockaded yeah. by one card. They're, they're not going to, like, do nothing, right? Yes. If they have the ability, they're going to instead try to draw cards. And They'll so, dig for that feed this morning. Yeah. <laughs> and so now, though, it's interesting. Like, you, there are so, there's so much that that scavenging ooze is doing, right? Mm. The reanimate's not being used. The tutors aren't happening. The Gary's not being put in bin. And now the player is like fully pivoting all of their resources into drawing cards instead. That is so much value stapled to that scavenging ooze. Imagine, yeah, imagine if scavenging ooze red, like on the card, 
When it enters the battlefield, target opponent can't make any other game actions <laughs> unless it's drawing cards. Yeah. Like, imagine if a card said that. We'd all look at it and go, that's fucking ridiculous. I'm playing that. Wizards into 2030, yeah. maybe. But, <laughs> yeah. like, like t- as of today, if a card came out that read that, yeah. we'd all be like, that's ridiculous. We but have to play that. in those situations where someone is playing a graveyard deck, Scavenging Ooze says that. And I think as the player that's holding the Scavenging Ooze in hand, if they look at Scavenging Ooze and goes, there's nothing really to target in graveyards yet mm. i won't cast this wrong yeah. because there is a graveyard player sitting across from you if you have scavenging news just leave open one mana and you will be again pivoting that entire player's resources to finding an out yeah and while they're doing that you can build your board oh i think if if the like the the next level, I think, of how you utilize this skill, or just like something you should be aware of when you're doing this, like if you're the scavenging ooze player, is think about that you're spending nothing. You know yes. what I mean? Now, the the threat of scavenging ooze is so much that you could probably never exile a creature card, as long as you have the green open, like yeah. you have to threaten it, you can't like tap out. But if you have the threat of that, you can now spend zero resources on that and CDH players are so aware of this, which is why mm. they politic all the time. Because if you can convince someone to use their removal spell, it's like you have a zero mana spell that says Swords to Plowshares on it. <laughs> yeah. I love getting people to use their removal. I love having like a removal spell in hand and managing to wheedle table politics for someone to use theirs. And I'm like, well, that was free. Well, That was great. We will go into that because <laughs> I'm aware that, that is definitely a strategy we should be using. Um, I think the last one I want to talk about in this sort of Staxi area mm-hmm. is um, we mentioned them somewhat recently in the um, Cards at the Crux episode, but uh, prison effects. Effects oh, like yeah, right. ghostly prison, propaganda, solitary confinement. Mm-hmm. I think um, we'll, we'll keep this a bit brief because we talked about it a lot in that episode. But we tend to see the minor annoyance when someone goes to combat and goes like, oh, I can't swing at James. That's kind of annoying. Uh, I guess I'll swing this way. I think what we miss that propaganda is doing is like how much higher that player's life total will be towards yeah. the end of the game. Um, how much damage is now being redirected directly to that player's opponents because yeah. people are not going to just go like, I've got oh, a good I can't attack. swing at James. I guess I won't attack. Yeah. Oh, this Galt is a 12-12 with Trample. Yeah. But I can't swing it at James. Never mind. I don't have two other opponents <laughs> no. that I can swing at. Yeah. I see I- what you're saying here. Like the, the thing that you don't see is their life decreasing, but the value of that is the thing that you're not seeing. And yeah. that's a huge thing. There was actually on our YouTube channel, there is a game uploaded right now where I managed to get a combo with Savine the Chronoclasm and Prop... Uh, pariah oh yeah in play mm-hmm. and i basically the way that works is it's two replacement effects right pariah says that any damage dealt to me would be dealt to savine mm-hmm. and savine prevents any damage that would be dealt to him full stop so basically what happens is i go to combat i attack james the damage is redirected from james to the pariah enchanted creature in this case savine and then savine says prevent all damage that would be dealt to me no damage ever gets dealt to James. It's an amazing combo. It's, it's even sick. better than Ghostly Prison. But like I was playing in that game and I think I like I think there's a moment in the video mm-hmm. where I say, "Man, I'm really upset that this combo isn't working as well because you were playing an Aristocrats deck. Yeah. And Aristocrats makes you lose life and that's not damage, so therefore the combo mm. doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. But then someone in our Twitch chat, I think it was Pad actually, one of our regular viewers Pad, mm-hmm. was like, actually, James, look at Walt's board. Walt could have swung at you for the past like three turns with a lot of tokens. Yeah. And that's probably equivalent to what your life total is now. 
You would be dead if it yeah. wasn't for that combo. But it's this is we can't see it because it doesn't happen, right? Yes. We don't see the damage that isn't dealt to us. I only see the ones that are dealt yeah. to me. Yeah, fully. Um, I think that's all I want to say about stacks. I reckon the next sort of section we can talk about. I, I'm, I think I'm sort of broadly thinking about this as like known answers. And I, I have a bit of a, an analogy here that um, I saw Shivam Wheeler. Not Shivam Wheeler. It's Shivam Wheeler Love Magic is the podcast. <laughs> Shivam Butt. I think it's... Yeah, Shivam Butt. Great content creator. Great content creator. I think he's on the Commander Advisory Group. Yeah. He's played a bunch on um, Shuffle Up and Play with the Prof. Yes. I love the way he builds um, Commander decks as well. I think he's yeah. very like Hyper focused casual. on the fun and weird interactions of Commander. And I respect the hell out of that. You know what okay. I noticed as well the other day? Yeah. Um, if you Google our podcast, our podcast comes up next to Shivam's. Uh, I love that. That's, that's so cool. I mean, that's where we belong. <laughs> so Shivam, if you're listening, what's up? Yeah, it's a good place to be. <laughs> um, so Shivam um, on Twitter was talking about this idea that him and Wheeler have talked about a few times of rattlesnake cards. Um, but, and the example that he gave in this category, there's a couple of other categories, but this is the main one I was interested in. Um, L- Lieutenant Kurtar is this like old card from like ugh, Odyssey or something like that. It's I was like, about to say, I didn't immediately recognize no, it. So. <laughs> it's an old one. It's a three mana white creature. Um, it's like a two, three flyer or something, but you can sacrifice it for one and a white to exile an attacking creature. Mm. And he basically calls this type of card a rattlesnake card because the creature doesn't actually have to do anything, but it dissuades so much from happening. Like, if you see a rattlesnake, the rattle is not killing you. The rattle is being like, stay away. I'm scary. I'm a rattlesnake. I'm scary. Stay away from me. And so he basically was like, yeah, if you are attacking and someone has a Lieutenant Kurtar, you're just not going to attack that player, right? And so the rattlesnake kind of puts you off and sends you towards an easier target. I was so confused at what the rattlesnake thing <laughs> meant, but I get, I get it. Like that, that yeah. rattle is like going, uh, come at me, bro. Yeah. It, and it's Don't honestly, and like when I play these cards, I lean into that so hard. Big I, time. I am a player that if I know I have a threat to someone, if they try something on me, I'll point it out and I'll be like, do you really want this to happen to you? Mm. And something that I notice you do a lot, and maybe it's because you've thought about noticing absence, is when I'm threatening players with that, you'll go, one of us needs to do it at some point. Yeah. Like someone's going to have to get the rattlesnake to jump. Well, this is the thing about Lieutenant Kurtar, right? If everyone just leaves it for like 12 turns, it's like he, for one, never paid one in a white. <laughs> to exile attacking creature. It's also as though 12 times uh, a creature could have been exiled, yeah, right? Yeah, because Lieutenant Kurtar's ability is sacrifice itself. So it's, yeah. a, it's a once-used thing. Yeah, like maybe you'll bring it back with a Sun Titan or something. That yeah. would be a pretty sweet combo, not going to lie. But you, I really like that. <laughs> but, you know, like if we're talking about one turn cycle, that's not going to happen before another turn. Yeah. So, yeah, it's going to be Lieutenant Kurtar. Someone attacks it. Yes, that thing gets exiled. Two other players have free yeah. attacks now. It's very similar to, like, you know, just a Maze of If. Yeah. Like someone with a Maze of Ith is doing a very similar thing. Granted, that's repeatable, but they can only tap it unless they've got like a Seedborn Muse or Splendid <laughs> For Reclamation. For this discussion, they're tapping it once. They're tapping right? it once. Like it's, it's one of these things where, especially when there's this threatening thing, I think the lesson to learn here is talk with your opponents mm. and say, one of us is going to have to do this to get that threat off the board. Yeah. And look, I, I think the thing you should need to look at when you're looking at these Rattlesnake cards is, yeah, again, like we were looking, talking about before, what they represent, right? So um, I think that something similar happens. You just, just mentioned this just a, a moment ago. If you know someone has removal, right? Uh, 
if we see, for whatever reason, maybe someone has to reveal from the top of their library or something, if I see a disenchant go into James's hand, I am aware that that disenchant is there. That is known. I can see that. Mm. What I don't see and what that disenchant represents could be an omniscience never being cast. Yeah. Uh, yes, because why would you cast something that's immediately going to go away? Especially a 10 mana something. Yeah. Even, even a bolus of Citadel, right? Yeah. If I have a bolus of Citadel in my hand, and I know James is a disenchant, my bolus of Citadel is a blank card in my hand, right? Mm. I'm not going to drop it, maybe cast one spell for free off the top of my library and then have it be removed. It's not worth it. I see where you're going with this stuff in terms of known answers, like these mm. rattlesnake, like a, a revealed disenchant is similar to a rattlesnake card on the field. Yeah. Because it's this thing of, don't, don't do anything, don't do it, don't I'll do bite. It. But- you know, like, and I think it's the same things like with protection pieces, right? Mm, yeah. Like counter spells are the same deal. A hundred percent. Teferi's protection, same deal yeah this basically means a spe- specifically teferi's protection i want to call out if you know someone's got a teferi's protection in hand and you need to wipe their board and they've got three open mana yeah are you casting the board wipe no yeah the board wipe is not going to get cast unless you like can politic with someone else who's got a counter spell yeah <laughs> that's going to be your back only out <laughs> yeah back me up but yeah you're, you're totally right the thing that the, that we see is yeah the counter spell maybe the teferi's protection but it represents an immunity from board wipes, basically, for that player, as long as they have that three mana open. And I think this is where we can learn from noticing this absence and mm. noticing these rattlesnakes, because we can then use the knowledge that we know that how powerful that effect is mm. and lean into it. Like and, and, yeah. and like, I mean, the other day, I think I cast a like a board wipe into a known protection spell, mm. and I was like, "Whoops, that was a big mistake." Yeah, but it means the player used the protection spell, and I think in a couple of turns later, the permanents kind of came back in or were like mm. unprotected. I think it was a guardian of faith. Do you remember this game? You were in it. Oh. It was the Guardian of Faith, three mana flash, exile on a f- it, oh. any number of creatures phase out. No. Oh, that Guardian Effect. Yes. I'm thinking of the game that's actually just gone up on um, on Franken's YouTube channel, Commander the Gathering. Oh, Cause, yeah, cause yeah, yeah. That similar thing happened in I that. did do a similar thing there, yeah. But yeah, funnily enough, both of those cards were phasing cards. Yes. Guardian of Faith and the card that was cast. The anyway, Ripple of Time that, yeah, or whatever it's yeah, called. Yeah, no, Guardian of Faith blue, totally yeah. does it, which is that ETBs, any number of other um, creatures you control phase out. But the lesson learned was I did the... I, I, made, I made him have it. Yes. And then he used it. Yes. And then later in the game, my opponents, even though I maybe might be tapped out of resources now, mm. my opponents still see the real problem yeah. and can then put in the work. I agree. I think the worst thing you can do is leave it, right? Because like, then it becomes the a really good rattlesnake, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, a it really becomes... good rattlesnake is the one that doesn't have anyone attack it. No, it becomes five copies of that card yes. for free that never have to be cast and no mana is spent on them. Yeah. It's unbelievable. I think in a similar vein, um, we can see this with onboard protection. Mm. I want to call out a specific card here, which is Kira Great Glass Spinner. God, this is the one that comes back. Doesn't it? It's the one that like... I don't think it comes back. It's one blue blue and it says permanence you control have uh, when this creature becomes the target of a spell or ability for the first time each turn counter that ability oh, or spell. This, sorry, I was thinking of um, Glenelendra. No, this one's even more annoying than Glenelendra. Yeah, yeah. So this basically <laughs> like 
Yes, it says just the first spell, but in in practice, mostly one removal spell is going to be cast, if any, on a turn. Right? And it's usually all you have in hand. Yeah. To be when was the last time you saw both Swords to Plashes and Path to Exile in your hand at the same time? And one to use both of them on one creature. And you weren't dreaming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's rare, right? So yeah, we see the Kira, we see it be a bit annoying, but I think similar to that propaganda thing of going like, oh, I guess I'll go this way. I think sometimes we we just redirect our removal spells elsewhere, but now the Kira controller has hexproof. Basically, yeah. Instead right? of the card reading what it reads, it now reads uh, like creatures you control have hexproof. Yeah, it's a huge <laughs> problem. And yet, like you know, same same deal. If we don't deal with that, then it just continues to say hexproof on it. Yeah. You have to see that that beyond this immediate thing that's annoying, a bit of an annoyance now is the infinite annoyance that will come with it sticking on the battlefield. Crap. I think what we're telling our listeners to do is make the rattlesnake bite. Yeah. That is terrible advice. It's terrible. <laughs> if you see a rattlesnake, don't attack it. This don't make it bite. applies this is- to all circumstances <laughs> except actual rattlesnakes, in which case, don't do that. I- Instead, take the advice from Mean Girls, which is really good. If a snake bites you, suck the venom out with your mouth. That works. And thank you, Mean Girls, for saving many lives. You got like a real hang up on that, don't, don't you? Don't do that. <laughs> it doesn't work. You will die. <laughs> take You'll it from the Australians. <laughs> We've had many snake bites, spider bites, all the venom. Have you ever heard of a drop bear? Yeah. Drop bears are a real thing. You know what? I think we need a break. Yeah, I think we do need a break. I think we need to take a thrifty interlude. It's a little break that won't cost you that much money. It's kind of like your mum giving you 50 cents and saying, go get yourself something at the corner shop. It's just a nice little treat. Back when 50 cents could buy you anything. Oh, yeah. But 50 cents can buy you. Oh, yeah, it can buy you. A thrifty card. So we're going to hear a little something about a thrifty card. And as is tradition, I'll be performing a monologue. And this week, it's the Cowled Merchant with some new wares. James, would you like to read the card I'm featuring this week? This guy's selling a dog. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's new for him. Yeah, a natural living creature. Yeah. It's kind of disturbing. (laughs) This is moving into new trade. Uh Uh-huh. It's Dreadhound. For four black and a black, you get a creature, Demon Dog. It's a 6-6. And when it enters the battlefield, you mill three cards. But this is the line of text that gets good. Whenever a creature dies or a creature card is put into a graveyard from your library, each opponent loses one life. People often say to me, Mr. Merchant, you've taken a solemn vow to protect the living animals of this planet. What do you do to your enemies? It's a valid concern, but it has a simple solution. When my enemies taunt me and wish me ill, I turn around and get my evil hound to kill them. She's furious, utterly insane, and she wears a cloak made of darkness and deceit. So really, she's just like any dog. Do me wrong, and you can bet your bottom dollar that she's headed your way to rip a dollar out of your bottom. Get budgeted. Okay, so I was wrong. He's not selling the dog. He's just bragging about the fact that he's got one. I feel like this is... Dreadhound is the dog that protects his wares. Yeah. yeah. There you go. God dog. I like that. Um, If you enjoyed that, you can check those out every Thursday in the Greensboro Commander Community Discord server in the Thrifty Thursdays channel. That's all linked in the show notes if you enjoyed uh, that absolute insanity that you just experienced. Very quickly. If you run a um, Sir Conrad in your deck, run Dreadhound as well. Yeah. It's... it's so good. And in it some cases, there. it can be even better. In my Arami deck... Oh, in your Arami deck, it's 
it's like it can just win. If you hit the right things, yeah. you just close out the game. I mean, like the the like lowest level of it, assuming you have three opponents, is pay six to encore it. You mill nine. Which is good. And every single creature that hits your bin deals three? Yes, because they each? all read. Yeah, yeah, every single one of them reads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. mill nine, every single thing bolts to your opponents. <laughs> That's insanity. And Wild. when, yeah, if you can like sack stuff on your board yeah. like, as they die, yeah, it's in- Anything insanity. Anything else will do it. Oh, yeah, well, in the end step, they'll all die another three. Oh, yeah, because Arami, yeah, the yep. Encore tokens do that. Yeah. yeah. That's so true. Crazy, crazy. Right, we should get back into noticing the things that aren't there. Yes. This is a weird episode. <laughs> it is a weird episode, but we have a bit more to talk about. Um, We kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier, but I reckon the next thing we could talk about is almost wins so i want to well talk i guess about, we like, don't see people that almost win win so i guess we no. are noticing the thing that didn't happen <laughs> which is they didn't win i guess so <laughs> but it's not something we really um draw attention to in our minds i guess so i guess i'm talking specifically about when we sort of recognize that a player has a threatening board state and we respond but we don't realize just how close the player was to winning so for instance they might have had an overwhelming stampede or an acroma's will in their hand or they might have had a combo piece for their staff of domination that would have met them go infinite or something right we don't see that they almost had it right sometimes we see enough to board wipe for instance right but we don't necessarily see that we just prevented a win so for a board a board wipe is one i want to specifically talk about we obviously see that every creature gets destroyed right like mm. wrath of god we see every creature go to the graveyard big reset for everyone we we, we see that bit definitely yeah. but yeah i think what we don't see is that it can represent the fact that you didn't lose because you cast a board wipe and sometimes you can take a player completely out of the game yeah sometimes the player that was like really close to winning if you board wipe at the right time, they will not win that game. Even though they no. were so close, it's because they've spent all of their resources, whether it's building up a board full of tokens mm. or like, you know, getting their graveyard right. And then if you board wipe and completely remove it, that overwhelming stampede now does nothing. Yeah. And they have to spend another like five, six turns, which to be fair, they don't have. Yeah. You know, to to try and redeploy that win con. They might spend the rest of the game trying to get back to the board state they had before and yeah, never get there. And someone will win before they do. Yeah, straight up. I, I really, I think these ones are funny that almost wins because we don't notice them in the moment, but every commander player will say, if I had one more mana or if you didn't board wipe, I would have won that turn That's after true. the game. That's true. After I guess, the game, you'll notice this. <laughs> I guess this is an easier one to notice for that reason because no one's going to hide that information from yeah. you. Especially and if anything, you see people game. do the like flipping cards at the top going like, ah, oh, I would have had it in two turns. Only 12 <laughs> cards down. I would have had the win. If we if we kept playing for 12 more turns, yeah. I would have had it. <laughs> if I drew 12 cards and had 18 more mana, the win would have been mine. Uh, James is choking on his victory over there. <laughs> I am. I don't know what I've hit. <laughs> Jeez. I'm dying. Nice. It's fine. I'm alive. Yep. Uh, he lost the game. I think I swallowed an air bubble and I needed to like burp or like cough or something. <laughs> I apologize, listeners. I hate when I swallow air. Um, <laughs> while we James should think about editing that. our audio. <laughs> <laughs> while James sputters over that one, um, I'm going to talk about... Uh, the next thing that you'll notice with an almost win, which is when someone aims their removal correctly. So sometimes we like make a guess and make a stab when we decide how we're going to deploy our removal spell. Poor James is dying. <laughs> I am still coughing. Oh, gosh. No, you're right. Um, when we decide how we're going to use our removal spell, we tend to like narrow down the choices and then make an executive decision, right? We, we have a few options available to us. We evaluate what we have. I spoke before about checking cards in hand and deciding 
deciding that that way. That's how we decide where we're going to aim that removal spell. Uh, we don't always know that we've made the right choice, but sometimes, you know, we see someone get it, look a bit annoyed. We see someone deploying similar cards again when they try to build up their board state again. Uh, but we don't necessarily see that we, again, prevented the game from being over. Are you... Gosh. <laughs> I'm so happy we have individual mics now because I moved away. Yeah. I don't know what happened there. I apologize. Gosh, no, you're right. Um, but so I yeah. totally agree. We do miss that. <laughs> you, we do miss you that. You still heard that? Yeah. I do, I do. I think the, like, well-timed or well-aimed removal mm. is something that, like, you'll see, but you won't... Res- Oh my god, I cannot uh, stop coughing. No, you're good. You won't see the result of it. No. Keep talking. Okay. <laughs> Jeez, James is like quietly dying back there. But yes, you you definitely see the removal spell and you can see that someone is set back by it. But yeah, you might not see that that was the, the thing they needed to win the game. I think we're going to hit pause here, maybe, and come back in a moment for our next uh, next section of the episode. One sec. I'm alive. (laughs) (laughs) I'm back. It sounded a bit like he might die, but he didn't. Holy uh, hell. I'm very curious to know how much of the coughing was caught on the microphone because yeah, I went to the other corner of the room. Away. I reckon so it was still I hope you somewhere. heard what Walt was saying about well-aimed <laughs> removal because I, it's a very good point. Yes, but we should move to our next one, I reckon, which was is um, basically this the kind of next level of this. Like if we're looking at board wipes and we're looking at removal and all the things that they can represent beyond what we can see, um, the thing that you can have is you can not have removal in your deck. Or not have enough of it. So the next absence that I think we need to remember that we can notice is cards that aren't in our deck. It's very easy to miss and it's very hard to notice. But basically, like, we see in games when sometimes there, there isn't any removal or we don't have any board wipes or we don't have an answer to a problem that presents itself. But we don't necessarily get to that next level, which is that it represents that we don't have enough removal or board wipes in our deck. See, it's funny that you say that you don't notice it because I get so angry when I don't have the response or the interaction that I need at the time. I think people get there, but I think what doesn't happen is that people like understand that it comes back to the deck. You know what I mean? Like people will be like, so "This is like really revisit your deck building." Yeah, yeah. Pull up your deck list and just like have a look at how much removal and how many board wipes are actually there. Just to make sure that you actually had enough outs. Because I've had people like... I remember there was a game I was playing and someone was kind of digging through their deck trying to find a board wipe. And I was like, oh, how many board wipes are in the deck? And they were like, one. And I was like, oh, well, I think the, the chance that you So you've find- got a one in 99 chance yeah. of getting that card then. <laughs> it's, it's kind of unlikely, right? But it's sometimes hard for us to remember that and then come back to the deck and revisit it later and go, oh, actually, I might need to up this count a little bit. And like, I think that even if you're following the numbers of our deck building template to mm-hmm. the letter, right? You could be like packing your seven pieces of targeted removal. Yeah. Your deck might be folding to problematic permanence. So you need to notice that you need to go up on that number. Yeah. That's where you can like, you know, you might be ignoring the fact because you're like, no, 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 I'm running enough because I've got the seven. Get mm. commanded told me seven, seven, seven. Yeah, yeah. But we also told you that you need to notice it when it goes up. And if you're a deck, mm. for example, let's say, for example, you're a go wide deck. Yeah. And in your meta, in your play group, people love ghostly prison. 
and mm. love propaganda effects. Yeah. Come how often <laughs> how often do you need to remove those cards? Yeah. All the bloody time, You'll I bet. You need quite a few of those disenchant style yeah. effects because yeah, the main thing that's going to stop you is going to be a propaganda or a ghostly yep. prison. And yeah, you got to have an out for that. I do think there's a bit of a warning we can put here though uh-huh. of be careful not to turn into an arms race. Yes. I think we've talked about that plenty of times, but like an arms race is where, you know, you put something in your deck so your opponent puts something in their deck to counteract yeah. it and then you put something in your deck to counteract it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the decks just aren't decks anymore. I think that the the thing that you can do to avoid an arms race is usually like removal that's general is fine like like more mm. disenchant effects might dilute your deck a bit but it, you're not going to like prevent someone from having a good time it's more the silver bullet cards right yeah like we said the- before like don't like yes if someone's got propaganda play a card like disenchant don't add a card that's like players can't cast enchantment spells yes, you know what i mean like so that, true yeah you're bringing 100%. a bazooka to a gunfight yes like <laughs> i think that maybe in this country western that bazooka is unnecessary yeah you're, you're bringing a bazooka to a friendly game of Commander. Yeah. Settle down Settle there, cowboy. Down. Um, I, I totally see what you're saying here. This is like, it's a deck building reflection mm. that you can take from a game because you didn't see it happen. Yeah. Like, let's for an, another one, for example, if you're not winning and you're not seeing your win con come up, mm. how many, if you're in that go wide token deck, how many overwhelming stampedes are you running? Like, how yeah. many overrun effects are you running? If totally. Have you only got the one? Is overwhelming stampede your only win con? Yeah. In Maybe. which case, how are you going to find it? Like, you yeah. might need more, yeah, totally more versions of that effect. You might need a tutor. Or more card draw. Card draw, I think, is a big one. And I think that goes back to everything we were saying just before about removal and board wipes and not having enough of them in the deck. You can also sometimes um, come about this problem and go about solving it that way when actually the solution is adding more card draw. Because the thing is, you can find those four board wipes or those seven pieces of removal way more often if you have 15 bits of card draw in your deck or 20 bits of card draw in your deck. Yeah, it's funny. We talk about like how good, like, you know, Swords to Plowshares and Path to Exile are, are as pieces of removal. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes people go like, okay, I've got those two in the deck. It's the best of the best. Yeah. But we play a singleton format. Yeah. It's so surprising how many problems more card draw pieces can solve. Yeah. That's why like our template went up. We went to like 15. I think 15 yeah. is what we recommend now. Yeah. Yeah. We went from like 10. We said 10 and up and then we went like, you should be getting close to 15 yeah, in the current like even state 20. of commander. Like, yeah. The decks that I have that have more draw power, like, you know, we mentioned Barbara Saga earlier. Oh, that card. I mean, it, the commander draws cards. It's card draw in the command zone yeah. and God, it feels good to always have a way to dig. Like, and you're always like with that deck, you're always, if you have got like over the amount of cards in your hand for card, like hand size, you know that you're keeping the cards that you need. There is no better feeling on the planet than like discarding down to hand size, knowing that you've got all the responses that you need. Especially in a deck like mine that cares so much about recursion. Oh God, you can put things in bid and you're like, I'll get it back later. Yeah, sometimes you've got eight cards in hand and you have, um, what's the one mana spell? Brings back a three mana... 
Oh, unearth. 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 You got an unearth yeah. in hand, and you're like, cool. I'll ditch Zulaport Cutthroat. I just got a discount of one mana <laughs> <laughs> on that spell, and kept seven in my hand. Yeah, super, super good. I think that reflecting on your deck building post games is something we always recommend. Yeah. But instead of looking at the cards that you did see, mm. because that's what often we all do. We all go, this card didn't perform as well as I thought it would. It, yeah. I might cut it. Think about what you didn't see in your hand and what you would have loved to see in your hand at yeah. the time. Yeah. And then definitely, if your problem is just that you found you didn't find enough of your stuff most of the time the answer to that question is card draw yeah yeah it's what you need put in a rhystic study <laughs> there you go <laughs> again full, full circle, circle. <laughs> um the last one I want to mention here is also one that I think is very easy to miss, which is mana and specifically sort of mana bases. I think it's very easy to go down the route. We all do it as magic players of saying like, ah, oh, if I just drawn my green source or if I just drawn my red source, right? It, Hang look, on, didn't can we stream last night where you kept a risky hand because you had exotic orchard in hand? <laughs> look, there was a black <laughs> at the table and he didn't play a black land till like turn eight. I'll also That's point out that fault. there was one player on black and he was in a three color <sighs> deck. Look, it was a risk, but it was also a really cool card in that hand that I wanted to play. Fae Offering is really good, I promise. It's a great card. But if you want to see that game, go over to Franken's YouTube yeah, channel. <laughs> it's uploaded now, actually. Yeah. Oh, you know, like two weeks ago by the time you guys hear all this. <laughs> True. Um... Yeah, look, I think you can always get mana screwed. I don't want to say you can ever avoid it completely, but you can reduce the likelihood that it happens because great mana bases don't need very much luck to go their way. And basically, I want to point out the fact that when mana goes wrong, we see that people spent turns drawing cards or ramping to fix colors if we're very astute. I don't think everyone's seeing that, but mostly you might notice that someone's like digging for a land and then going like, you know, they draw a card and go like, oh, and draw a card and go. To be honest, sometimes they'll very loudly exclaim, fuck, fuck, I need one land. (laughs) That can also happen. And then you'll see someone like with three lands be like, oh, I had this spell in my hand, but I guess I'll cultivate. You know what I mean? And Mm. like now cultivate is just like hit land drop and find a land. Mm. Like not so great. Get what you're saying. Um, So yeah, but I think what we miss is what that represents, which is that you're taking entire turns out of the game not progressing your game plan, right? Mm. There's, there's spells now that, like we talked about the invisible spells earlier, yeah. there are invisible uncast spells in your hand. Maybe removal and board wipes, you know, cards that you needed to yeah. cast. Yeah, I totally see what you're saying. I, th- I think there's like the inverse as well. Like if you don't prioritize these things early game, you'll see it affect you late game. Yeah. So like, you know, when you're not prioritizing an efficient card draw engine on field or not prioritizing fixing your colors, you will feel that. Oh, yeah. Late game. Gosh, the amount of times I've gotten to the end of a game and the person who is, like, least relevant is just the one who's missed the most land drops. Yeah, it's really... I think that's the one thing about Magic the Gathering as a TCG that, like, a lot of people don't like. When I talk to people being like, oh, why do you play that TCG? Magic is just such a better version of a trading card game. They're Mm. like, when you miss land drops, when you get mana screwed or mana flooded, it sucks. And I'm like, I totally respect that. But, like, again... Maybe you need to reflect on your deck building yeah. because like when you do it right, it does just seamlessly work. I I think it's a double-edged sword, the mana thing, where I think I totally see where people are coming from when they go like sometimes your deck just doesn't work, but also it's a skill and I think it's the cost of probably arguably the best part of Magic the Gathering, which is the color pie. 
Yes, like, I. Magic I'm, is not magic if there's not the color pie, and I think that's the cost of it. Is that you should have to spend resources. Like when yes. people play, people play five color decks, and they go like, "Man, I don't have enough white sources." It's like, yeah, that's the cost of playing five colors. That's the way the game's supposed to go. Yep. If we all could play five color, we all would play five color. Yes, There'd be no downside. Then we get the best cards all the time without having to think about the resource. Yeah, that's, I've said it a million times. Magic: The Gathering is a resource management game. Yeah. And I think as a final note, I guess, if you don't notice that it is a resource management game and you dis and, and you don't look at the resources, mm. you're missing probably the biggest underlying indicator to how well you're gonna do in that game yeah. and how well your opponents are doing. Hundred percent. Notice the resources that you've got. Notice the resources your opponents have got. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. And once you start seeing how mana is doing this thing, you will notice when people don't have access to the mana they need. For sure. Well, we need to keep track of a lot of different things in our games, and inevitably, we're going to miss stuff. But if we focus on the things we can't see, the murky depths of our opponents' plans, decks, and hands, we can reliably predict how games will go and become much stronger commander players ourselves. So, Space Commanders, Command, command received. received! Yeah, nice. This is a, like, really psychoanalyze the absolute hell out of our <laughs> yeah. silly little TCG. It's one of those deep dives for sure. Thanks for sticking with us. And to you out there, do you feel commanded? What do you think of noticing absence and which variables are players missing in your games? I want you to talk about those people in your pod who just sometimes miss the stuff that's that you think is really obvious but isn't obvious to them. Yeah, and is there a variable that we missed? Yeah, yeah, big time. Let us know. And you can let us know by getting in touch with us on all the social media platforms we're on, like Twitter, Instagram, Threads, at Get Commanded on all those platforms. You can send us an email as well, or you can join the Greensboro Commander Community Discord server, which really is the best place to chat with us, get regular updates from the Get Commanded podcast, and other members of our playgroup are in there, so they're cool to talk to as well and get real insight on what it's like to play against us yeah and, and so i will just say as well go subscribe to our youtube channel because mm. uh we'll be throwing up all the amazing streams that we're going to be doing this year by the time that you see this we should have a thing on those social media platforms of when we're planning on streaming yeah. for the next couple of months so go check that out and if you can be with us remember we're streaming tonight yes. weird to say that because we're you. in the past but <laughs> we're in the past but for you yeah. tonight or maybe tomorrow morning <laughs> depending on what country you live in but yes, yes. Come join us, uh, twitch.tv slash getcommanded. Yep. It's, and like, you know, we talk about how we want to hear, hear from you. The best way that you can hear from us is live, right? Yeah. On and Twitch. the best way to talk to us is live. Yeah. We, we love the chat. We Definitely. engage with the chat a lot. And if you want the Get Commanded podcast to be better than it is, the absolute best way you can support us is over on Patreon. Uh, it's linked in the show notes. There's a lot of ways you can support us and there's a lot of benefits that we offer to you for your support. And we'd like to thank our patrons, Stella Tam, Fuzzy, and Bottomless Potamus. And of course, next extra special shout out to Fletcher Cutting, who supports us in the Space Commander tier. You're the best. You are the best. And look, if you guys are, you know, you know, new year, new you, building new decks, that's yeah. what I'm doing after and our me. recent <laughs> episode uh, where we cut a bunch of my yeah, decks. He's but he's got um, some room. I've got some room. So I'm going to need a bunch of new uh, sleeves, deck boxes. And do you know where I'm going to go to get all those? I suspect you're going to go to palmsoffgaming.com.au forward slash hashtag get commanded and receive a 10% discount on your purchase and support the Get Commanded podcast at the same time. That's exactly where I'm going to go. Oh, wow. That's exactly where I'm going to go. Once again, I'm going to go to palmsoffgaming.com.au <laughs> forward slash hashtag get commanded and get 10% off my order and support the show at the same time. Um, I've actually just today been talking to the Palms Off Gaming crew. Uh -huh. And uh, I'm not going to say who, 
Mm-hmm. But someone at Palms Off Gaming has just bought their first pre-con. <gasps> That's exciting. So that is exciting. We're turning this Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, Pokemon. <laughs> they're definitely Pokemon nerds, first and foremost, yeah. the pod crew. Uh, we'll get them hooked on Commander. Yep. Watch this space. Keen. Love that idea. <laughs> uh, honestly, like every Commander player that we gain is a gem that we must cherish. Um, and we'll mold the fuck we- out of them. <laughs> We don't say that on the podcast, James. <laughs> um, that's all the magic stuff we have. I guess we should planeswalk out of magic yeah. into somewhere else. Uh, it's think- your turn, but I know exactly where you're going. Because when I walked into <laughs> your house today... I knew you would mention this. Uh, you were like face buried in your Switch. Well, you were like waving your hand. I literally waved it in front of his face and he didn't even blink. I think he's I been did- playing the game for at least six hours. I blinked and returned to what I was doing. Thank you. Um, what I've- game have you been playing recently, Walt? I've been playing Fire Emblem Three Houses. Yes, I know. I'm literally five years behind. But as we know from Walt playing Breath of the Wild. Yeah, about a year ago. Less than a year ago. Yeah. yeah. It's the way that I do stuff. I wait for the games to go on sale. Look. It's sweet. I played, um, I used to play on my Game Boy emulator on my PC, like laptop. You were uh, such a nerd. I was a huge nerd. <laughs> I had a Game Boy way back when, but I didn't have it anymore. And obviously with a Game Boy emulator, you can download every game ever. Uh, I used to play this fantastic series called Fire Emblem. I was playing, um, I played, it was just called Fire Emblem in the States. I think it's actually called Fire Emblem Blazing Sword or something. I played that and I played um, Fire Emblem Sacred Stones. How many games has Fire Emblem got? Well... <laughs> I re- didn't realize. I thought they were like the first two. That was the sixth and seventh games in the series. And how old were you when you were playing this? I was like, like, oh, 14, 15, okay. maybe. But these like games were already school. old. Yeah. They probably came out when we were in primary school. Um, sorry if that dates you all out there at all. <laughs> uh, but I have fully jumped about 10 games ahead. Fire Emblem Three Houses is the 16th game Holy in the series. Hell. It's a hell of a jump. Um, basically, it's like a real time, not a real time. It's a um, turn-based strategy game, but it's also an RPG. So you kind of have a character. And the most, the best part of the game to me is as people like, people have certain compatibilities with one another another right you got like mm. this party it's very dnd vibes you got a party full of diff- people with different skill sets but they also are compatible with each other in different ways right. and as they battle if you put them next to each other like on the board they slowly like form affection for one another and eventually they can they have conversations with each other what? and the longer they spend next to each other the stronger their bond gets and when you finish a fire emblem game you get a custom end depending on how strong the players um connections with each other were Whoa, and so you'll get like so a cool. like joshua and oh what was the one that she he i forget her name isabel i think joshua and isabel were like in a particular game and if you got them close enough they would get to the end and it'd be like joshua like she was like a princess he's like joshua like um took her away one day and they never returned to the oh. kingdom and are happily married in like south so that gives area. you an excuse to replay the game and get yeah, a different, and, get ending, different sure. ones. and the great thing about three houses is at the start of the game you choose a house to be the professor of and you train up so there's even more of this rpg stuff of like training people and like shaping their goals right uh and you can choose 
like, yeah, which people will band, band together and that kind of thing. But then I can go play the game again and choose a different house and I will have different students with different uh, responses wow. to each other. I feel like these types of games, like RPG games from like my understanding, because I'm not a big RPG gamer. Like sure. I, I've never really played Skyrim yeah. even. Like, you know, I'm not even big on those games. Uh-huh. But like Baldur's Gate 3, wasn't that game of the year last year? Oh, if not, then it should have been. I'm pretty <laughs> sure it was. I, th- I think that just like... These types of games are hooking people because it's yeah. just like, it's like D&D. And I think even the surge of D&D becoming so popular yeah. in the last couple of years is showing how much people love being somebody else. Yeah. Just for a little bit. It's like this escapism trend. Oh, and I love it. I think it's great. I think like when it's merged with the mechanics of a game, it becomes especially good. So that's what I didn't mention is that like as people's bond grows, they also battle better when they're near each other. Also, oh, it's like you get like in-game advantages of this RPG yeah. thing, right? Which okay. I think is like, like games have so much replay ability when they have like personality that is interesting and you can like play with like and matching up and that kind of thing. But when but it links to the game. To the mechanics yeah. itself. Because there's lots of games that like have really cool like rpg sort of things of like relationship building and stuff but it's pretty rare i think well maybe less rare these days that it affects the mechanics and i yeah. love when it feels like yeah those conversations it's like a point system associated yeah, with it like, or something that conversation you had with that player like that other character like is means something in like numbers in the game there's you know, a like, code behind that is. conversation it's really cool like there's a there's a character in Fire Emblem three hours he's the head of the house he's like sort of i think he's supposed to be the prince his name's dimitri he's great character very well written horrifying backstory from what i've known so far hashtag spoilers for a five-year-old yeah. game <laughs> anyway <laughs> horrifying is not telling you anything um that he has this guy who also has a horrifying backstory <laughs> named Dudu, who has like sworn to be his like knight his like right. protector and so when they fight next to each other and they've like had conversations with each other about how much they care for one another and you know that because of the strength of their relationship it is harder to hit Dimitri if you're the enemy it's like yeah Dudu's standing there and he's like blocking with his shield like Cool. Isn't that such a cool image that conjures in your head? I just, I love stuff like that. Uh, do you know, and because I can see you're itching to just go back to playing this game now. Do you no. want? Do you want to do the sign off thing <laughs> so we can, <laughs> so you can go back so to playing I this game? Play three houses. <laughs> never mind the fact that I've got to spend time with my partner, which is obviously important. Um, <laughs> never mind. Three, three houses has my heart. Um, <laughs> the, the one and only love <laughs> for, no. the, for the next like no. six months, where you're obsessively obsessing yep. over it, and then I'll drop it and never play yeah. again. <laughs> Knowing the way my brain works. Anyway, that's all we have time for. We'll see you next Friday for another transmission from the Space Commanders. Goodbye, Commander players.